Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. How much do I have to risk to gain a reward that's actually going to impact my life in a positive way, right? Like the downside risk starts to become greater than the reward. Welcome to the Adventure Podcast and this episode with Mikey Schaefer. Mikey is first and foremost an alpinist. He's also a photographer and cinematographer. He's a big name in the climbing world and is renowned for his world-class ascents. He's likely best known for that moment in the Oscar-winning free solo, where the cameraman can't watch Alex soloing and looks away from the camera screen. That's Mikey. I met Mikey on a Nat Geo expedition last summer, where we spent six weeks together navigating some of Greenland's scarier unclimbed walls. We got on really well and he promised he'd be up for a chat one day. Now we've made it happen. And as is becoming normal, we go pretty deep in this episode. We get to know who Mikey is and what he's done with his life, but we also explore his personal philosophy and views on the world of alpinism. Before we begin, I'd like to mention that we're on Patreon. So if you're a regular listener to the podcast and would like to access extra content, including InVision interviews and monthly sit-downs with me and a guest, then you can find us on Patreon at The Adventure Podcast. I'd also like to talk to you about Sidetrack magazine, our sister publication. Sidetrack is an incredible quarterly journal that celebrates authentic stories of adventure and exploration. You can find out more at sidetracked.com. I'd also like to take a quick moment to push you in the direction of our charitable partner, the Martin Moran Foundation. They're a wonderful organisation working to get young people from disadvantaged backgrounds into the outdoors. You can find information about how you can support them on our Instagram bio at The Adventure Podcast. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, then please do subscribe on iTunes and leave us an honest review. They're a big help, and it really does help us bring the podcast to a wider audience. Okay, over to Mikey Schaefer. Well, Mikey, let's get going. For those who don't know you, to you know, give us some context. Tell us who you are, what you do, whatever that means to you. Uh, yeah, my name's Mikey Schaefer. I have been um, a climber for 30, 30 odd years, coming up on year thirty-one this summer. Been a photographer for I don't know fourteen years. Been working in the film industry for maybe ten or so. So, yeah sort of all added up a bit. And so where does this start for you? What was life like as a kid and how did you find climbing in the hills? Yeah, I started climbing when I was 13 with my my older brother. He went to a a Boy Scout camp, a very classic American. Um, He went to a camp actually, I think in Texas, and they had some just really basic, basic climbing. And he he came back uh, from that trip and was all fired up. And, you know, I was two years younger than him. And so 
at that age, especially, I think you really like look up to your older brother, at least I did. And it sounded interesting to me. So yeah, we sort of did some local climbing uh, just around uh, the Pacific Northwest of the United States. I grew up in Washington, um, which has a pretty rich climbing uh, history, mostly mountaineering style stuff, but there is still access to outdoor rock climbing and climbers. Um, But I mean, this was obviously well before gyms were the norm. I mean, there were gyms around there, but they're a bit too far and a bit too too expensive for us. Um, so we just sort of started climbing. Um, yeah, one of the local outdoor areas and I gravitated to it really quickly, I would say, and got, uh, pretty into it. Um, I mean, I I climbed my first, I guess what you'd call big wall. I think when I was 14, um, was the first time I ever slept in a portal ledge. I made my first attempt to climb El Cap, uh, when I was 15, um, first attempt we failed. And then I went back just before my 16th birthday and, and climbed El Cap and then really sort of focused on climbing in Yosemite and climbing, uh, El Cap for quite a long time. Um, you know, moved to Yosemite right out of high school and yeah, I felt, felt really at home there and, um, eventually got a job as a climbing guide there when I was 21. So I think I was possibly the youngest guide that they had ever hired there and did that for six years or so and started going on more international expeditions and picked up a camera as a way to sort of subsidize the cost of those trips. And turns out, I guess, that my pictures were good enough. And uh, Patagonia, uh, the company started uh, publishing them in 2007, I believe, was my first published photo. And one of the photo editors there uh, encouraged me to quit my job as a climbing guide and go full-time as a photographer, which I did. And um, yeah, that sort of started my, you know, photo video career. And, you know, shooting video is just a, a, a pretty natural, you know, follow-up to shooting photos. And yeah, and it kind of got me to where I am today. Amazing. And I'm really interested by those Yosemite years, maybe just because I'm envious of the people who lived them. What, and you know, I, I, you know, seen the movies, watched all the films, read all the books. When were you there and what was life like for a kind of teenager who'd just moved to the valley? I was, yeah, it's interesting. I was sort of in sort of the transitional years of Yosemite, you know, like if you look at, you know, the kind of classic, um, Valley uprising film from Sender, um, you know, I mean, that was sort of getting made, uh, at the kind of, you know, I was already there, but they didn't really talk a lot about the the nineties, even when I was, you know, I was already climbing there. Um, but it was, yeah, I mean, it, it was, I, I don't know. I mean, it's only what I knew, right? I mean, I could never compare it to the, you know, any of the previous years, but um, it was probably still, it was a bit more wild than it is today, you know? I mean, that's the evolution of, of climbing. Um, you know, things are a bit more tame. The characters are um, just not as wild as they they used to be. Um, you know, when I was there, it was, you know, you know, Dean Potter was hanging around. Jose was there. Um, you know, Leo was there. I mean, I probably met Leo probably his first trip that he showed up. Um, you know, Timmy O'Neill was there. Ammon McNeely was there. 
So a bunch of those those classic characters, the Hubers were hanging out then. Um, so I spent a bunch of time with all all those sort of guys. But um, yeah, I mean, it was yeah. I wasn't as deep into the the scene, I guess you could say, as as some of the other people because I had gotten a job already. And even though I hung with a lot of those people, it I, I just wasn't as deep in in kind of the the scene that you see in the movies and whatnot, you know, it, it was, I was a little removed from that. Um, and probably by personal preference too, you know, I kind of shy away from the scene a bit. You weren't living in an old Ford and stealing things from trash cans. Oh, I mean, I did plenty of, um, you know, swooping like certain years of my life. I mean, for sure. I mean, you know, at the pizza deck, uh, in Curry village, I mean, I definitely ate a lot of, you know, leftovers that, the tourists left and, uh, you know, I did do a short bit in a cave. Um, but, and I'm actually mostly lived in my vehicle. Even when I was working for the mountaineering school, I opted to like live in my vehicle just cause it was, a, it was my own private space that way. So, so yeah, I mean, I did, you know, I mean, for sure. I, I, uh, yeah, I did some dumpster diving in my day. And so where does it go from there? You know, you, you obviously said that you became a climbing guide and became a photographer ultimately, but how did not that transition happen, but how did you get into climbing, you know, bigger things and traveling the world? Where did that start? For some reason, like early on in my climbing, I, I was under the impression that like real climbing was like going on expeditions, was going big wall climbing, was going alpine climbing. Um, and I don't know, you know, there was a lot of slideshow tours back then, um, just because there was less social media and YouTube. And so the only way to get a lot of that media was through in-person events. And we had a local climbing shop that did a pretty good job about uh, bringing people in. I mean, I saw slideshows with Alex Lowe and Conrad Anker, uh, Warren Hollinger, um, you know, Fred Becky, a bunch of these sort of people that were, were still going on expeditions and, um, I think just seeing those shows, I was just like, oh, this is, this is what you aim for as a climber is to do those things. And so, I mean, I did my first, what we call expedition again. I mean, I think I was 15 or 16. Like, I mean, I went to the, the, up to the coast range in British Columbia and, you know, got dropped off by a float plane and was up in the kind of mountains for 10 days trying to do this thing. I mean, the objective ended up being total shit. Um, but that was the first sort of trip I did where it was like properly remote and, um, and yeah, it just, it just sort of was, I guess it's what I thought climbing was, you know, I mean, obviously sport climbing was popular back then, but we didn't have a major destination sport climbing area close to where I grew up. So but we had a lot of expedition sort of climbers and alpine climbers and yeah. So it just, yeah, it just felt natural. And then once I started hanging out in Yosemite, it was, I was running around with people that, that just went on expeditions all the time. You know, I mean, it was like, you know, meeting like, you know, Timmy and Dean at the, you know, the cafeteria, right? I mean, they were already climbing in Patagonia and doing trips all over the world. And so again, it was just like looking at these other people it was like, cool, this is the, this is the natural progression to climbing for me. And, and, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I didn't, I think I went to Alaska, my first trip. Um, I don't know, I think maybe I was 19 or something like that and put up this like 
still to this day, it's uh, one of the hardest routes I've, I've probably ever done. You know, it was like that ignorance is bliss sort of thing. And uh, we spent 12 days on this big wall up on like the south face of Mount Bradley thing was like gigantic. I think it was like over 4,000 feet tall or something like that. It was a significant route. And uh, yeah, no idea what we were doing back then. Just kind of kind of going for it. But that's obviously, you know, that's the inspiration covered and that's the reason and the method. You know, you were integrated into that community and it felt like the right thing to do in logical progression. But when you first went out there and you got dropped off by the float plane and you did your thing, which was total shit, as you put it, what was it that gripped you about that kind of travel and that style of, well, I was going to say climbing, but more living, that way of living that went on to define the next, well, 30 years? Oh, that's a good question. Um, being so young, I'm not sure that you're always able to evaluate the decisions you're making in a way, right? Like you kind of do a lot of things at those ages just on like a whim, I guess, you know? I mean, everything in the world feels pretty new when you're like a teenager. Um, you know, you're so malleable, like who you are. And so if you get introduced to something, it it's really easy for it to become normal, if you will, you know, just because it's like, okay, I did that and I'm going to do it again. And there wasn't like a lot of introspection back then um, necessarily. And then I think there's a point, you know, and I just, it's what I was doing. And so that's just what I kept doing in a way, right? I, I didn't really know anything else. Um, it, it it just became the track I was, I guess I was in. But, and I, maybe we'll get onto this now, you know, it's worth saying, although I'll probably say this in the intro, you and I spent a long time together last summer in Greenland and I interviewed you probably seven times and we talked a lot whilst we were there. And I sense you're maybe at a crossroads now. We'll come on to that. But once you'd stopped being a teenager, once this had become the norm for you, you know, back-to-back trips all over the world, celebrated photographer, hanging out with the best of the best, maybe arguably being one of the best of the best, why did you just keep doing it? Oh, I mean, I think that's sort of human nature, right? Everybody gets in ruts. I mean, you know, to call it what I was doing a rut would be a disservice, but we get in a track, you know? I mean, I think that's just how we are. To a certain extent, we do like um, uh, just just doing the same thing. You know, we, we, we're comfortable with that. Um, I mean, it would have been harder almost to go do something else to a certain extent. It's because at that point, it's just what I knew. I mean, if you were to be like, great, you're going to go back to go back to school and then, you know, you're going to get a job on Wall Street or something like that sounds like terrifying, right? I mean, and I, I, there's like no way I'd want that much change. Um, so yeah, I mean, I really do think a lot of it was just like that that's just what I knew, you know, and it just I, 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 like, and when you're in ruts, it's like, depending on how deep the ruts are, it's hard to see out of them either, right? I mean, you sort of only see what's in front of you and so it's really hard to change, right? That's that you just, at least somebody like me, you know, I just sort of keep going straight ahead, I guess. That's fascinating for lots of reasons. I think, you know, like you say, to call what you were doing a rut would be to do it a disservice. But 
if it felt like one to you, then it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, without a negative connotation to it or a rut being a more physical thing and not how people, like people use the word, oh, like I'm stuck in a rut, like to mean they're down or like depressed or blue, which was not at all the case. It's it's more like actually when you're down in like a trough, right? And you're like walking through something, you you, you don't see what's above it, right? You, you sort of only see this like narrow view in front of you and it's really hard. Like you can miss lots of things as well, right? When, when you are, you know, in those and, and, and I'm sure, I'm sure I missed other opportunities in my life. I mean, without a doubt, like, I mean, who knows, right? I mean, in, you know, I got, I got sort of stuck in this, this path, uh, from when I was young and I mean, gosh, yeah. I mean, I wonder what my parallel life could have looked like, you know, what, what, what else would I have done with my life if I had not kind of gone down this route at such a young age? I have no idea. It's so, I mean, I do wonder it, right? Because it, it, and I think starting something so profound like climbing at such a young age, it's, it's, it's almost limiting in a way, right? Because I got so deep into it that I did, you know, probably miss other opportunities. Um, you know, no idea if they would have been better opportunities, but I'm sure I missed options, you know, and, and exits throughout life. But, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily regret that though. I mean, I'm happy where, I, where I've landed, so it's fine. Yeah, I was going to ask that because it is, you know, it's, it's true of all of us, right? There's those diagrams you see of like, you know, all the little pathways that you might have taken and all the ones that lay before you. And it's nice to hear you say that it's not a path you regret. But I I think it is, it is really interesting that you, you know, I think it comes down to purpose, right? Like you have had, it seems, you can obviously disagree, a probably a profound sense of purpose that you might not have had if you were working on Wall Street or started a lawn mowing business. I don't know. Well, I, I think purpose can be derived from your um, own expectations and your own emotional state. I don't, I don't, I would not want to say that climbing in and of itself has inherently any more purpose than a lawn mowing business, actually. I don't think that would be true. I think um, people find, you know, purpose in this world in all sorts of pursuits, right? And, and, and I mean, I, 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 I'm sure I could have found purpose in other ones too, um, but, you know, climbing is a very... It, it feels pretty obvious in a way well, actually, that's not even true. I was going to say, you know, it feels sort of obvious its purpose, but but then would you really kind of get into a deeper level, it becomes almost less obvious, right? I mean, there's this like immediate obviousy of its purpose, like, oh, I'm going to like climb this route. I'm going to climb this mountain. I'm going to like go on this expedition, right? So you've got this like, in a, if you look at it from a certain uh, like time frame, like a, a certain length of time, you might be like, great, yeah, climbing's climbing's got some purpose. But then as you start to like expand that time frame to a, a longer perspective, I actually almost feel like the purpose might start to become uh, a little harder to figure out. But that could also be with age, you know? Like, that could just be generally, like, I think I'm sure there's lots of people in this world that as they, you know, approach their 30s or their 40s or, or later in life that they start to question, like, oh, what, like, what did I just do with my, like, adult life? Like, did it actually have any purpose? So I... I probably a pretty normal feeling almost for, for anybody. Um, 
you know, as they age to, to look back and be like, whoa, what was the purpose of all that? Yeah, I know. I asked this wholly positively and I, I don't know, man, like I ask a few people this question or we get onto this subject. You don't necessarily need a purpose. I mean, I, I do, I sense that you do, but do you think that looking back on reflection that you did have a purpose and did you know what it was and do you now or do you feel it was all wasted and squandered? Um, <clears throat> I mean, it's almost hard to define a purpose if you didn't like necessarily almost like set out with like a goal or something, I guess, right? And I'm not very goal oriented. So I, I did a lot of, I guess, sort of living in the moment and kind of what happened, happened. Um, and throughout that time, I, I think I learned a lot, which I really enjoy. I like learning and not in necessarily the classical sense. I'm, I was actually really, uh, I didn't perform super well in, in classical education, uh, but I'm a super curious person. I like to understand how things work. I like to, I just like to understand. I like to really get to know a problem or, or a subject somewhat intimately. And that in and of itself, I think brings me a lot of, uh, a lot of joy and a lot of meaning just that through that experience. Um, and, and for sure, climbing did that, you know, I learned a lot about the world. I learned a lot about people. Um, you know, I learned a lot about myself and so, you know, I think I could define sort of having purpose is, is some of those qualities, you know? Um, and you know, if I was to define it like that, I would say I've been somewhat successful at it. Yeah, no, I agree. I think like climbing is just one wrapper, but if you were to broaden it out and look at adventure, exploration, expeditions in general, maybe part of what you're saying and to expand on it is like they provide this ultimate sense of in the moment purpose maybe not this bigger global purpose or this bigger world saving purpose but like they're the ultimate problem to solve you know how do we get to the top of this thing and how do we get home safely that gives someone day-to-day -day purpose for sure yeah 100 percent. yeah yeah absolutely and that's yeah like looking at it in that time frame i think it's it, that's when climbing it says like this very obvious purpose you know is like, yeah, figuring out how to get to the top and getting down safely, you know? So, which is, which is great. You know, I mean, it gives, climbing gives a lot of, uh, varying, uh, degrees of, of success and sort of feedback depending on the length of the project, right? You might have a, a project where you go to the gym and you work on a boulder problem for 20 minutes and then you send it and you're like, whoa, sweet. That's awesome. I feel like fulfilled for, you know, a minute till I find the other like, you know, blue problem that's kind of challenges me. And, and then, it, you know, goes to medium term projects like a sport climbing project that might take six weeks. And then, you know, you can go on to an expedition that takes two months or you can go on to like doing a new route that takes multiple years possibly or, um, and which is pretty cool, I think, you know, which it, how it has got, Climbing's got this ability to change kind of its its shape in that way and, and, and provide different levels of, you know, feelings of success and, and purpose through it. Yeah. Now, and before we, uh, you know, there's a much deeper, heavier path we could go down with this, but I think 
something that's linked to purpose's sense of place. And, you know, I've I've seen the film um, Force, you know, with you in it. Obviously, I spent some time with you. And I actually, <laughs> I told you this in Greenland, but I met you in inverted commas in a hut in Patagonia, you know, and I was like, oh my God, that's Mikey yep. Schaefer over there. And I think you were with the guys who were hiding out because they'd just been naughty and chopped a load of bolts and were in trouble with the locals. But again, correct me if I'm wrong, but El Chalten and Patagonia is a place that you have traveled to multiple times. That doesn't even do it service, but multiple years, decades. What is it about Patagonia that grabbed you and why go there so much? Yeah, I, you know, probably goes back to seeing some of those slideshows as a kid, you know, really. I mean, I saw, you know, when, when, when I think Conrad did a slideshow um, that I think he had just done a new route on Tori Yeager or, or tried a new route on Tori Yeager um, and being an impressionable young teenager, you know, you, you, you see that sort of stuff and how magnificent it was. And, and it was just like, Oh, wow. Okay. I want to go do that. And then, um, there was also just a lot of, you know, reading the, the climbing magazines and, and rock and ice, you know, our, our, our U S climbing mags. And, um, you know, that's the sort of stuff they celebrated. And so, you know, again, I think I was just sort of drawn to that because that's what I saw. Um, that's what a lot of that stuff was was in the media. Um, and then, you know, I started going there. I did my first trip in 2001 as a relatively, I mean, I was experienced, but I was almost like, I was like the most dangerous person at that point. I, mean, I was like the advanced intermediate, right? Where, you know, if you look at at where I was on sort of the, like the Dunning-Kruger, um, you know, plot of like, of, of of sort of knowing what I know, I I was sort of peaking in that stage of like almost thinking I knew everything about climbing, but, you know, I hadn't come down to realize that I, of all the things that I didn't know yet, um, and it, it almost, I think I almost realized that when I was down there on my first trip that, you know, I showed up thinking, oh, wow, yeah, I've got all this experience. I like, know what I'm doing. Um, you know, I had already been to Alaska. I had climbed El Cap a bunch of times. and But then I got there and I was like, oh, wow, I don't actually know anything. You know, I don't, I'm like so inexperienced. And I, I bailed on my partner on that trip um, just because I was not comfortable uh, with, uh, the decisions that I'll say I was making, or maybe we were making. That's why I spent a ton of time in Yosemite and in, in Patagonia. Um, I, I just, it's like, it, it's almost like dating somebody, you know, you, you date somebody for a little while and, you know, you don't really know them, you know, until you've been together for years and years. And usually those people become more fascinating and, and more complicated, um, the more you know about them. And I think climbing areas can be pretty similar and climbing objectives. And, and I just liked that, that feeling and, and then being able to like look up at, at, you know, the spires of around Chalten and, and Patagonia and, and know the lines that have been climbed and know the lines that hadn't been climbed. You know, I think it, 
I like that. Like just being able to like look up there and be like, oh yeah, that route goes there, that route goes there. And that means there's no route right there. Um, and I don't think you really notice those things until you've spent a lot of time in a place. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. It, it just, and then it sort of started to become for a long time, my, my sort of second home, you know, I have people that, you know, lived there that I just really enjoyed hanging out with. I liked the pace of life and, um, yeah. And unfortunately I, I've not been able to go back for quite a few years now. Um, I, I tore my ACL almost six years ago and it, I had some knee problems after that and it, and it, it didn't actually sound like fun to go to Patagonia because of all the hiking. My knee just, I didn't think it would, would handle it. And then, and then I've sort of just gotten out of that habit, you know, of, of going every winter and, and, and then, you know, life has changed a little bit and I, I have less free time or I have, I probably have just as much free time. I am not dedicating as much of my time to going down there anymore, um, which maybe will change again in the future. I mean, I hope it does. I, I hope I sort of am able to get back down there more, but I'm, I'm not sure when that's going to happen. Yeah. And how much of that is to do with, you know, I love the analogy of it's a relationship and it works like a relationship. Where are you at with your relationship with climbing? Um, <clears throat> well, geez, I actually, I went to the gym last night and I would say it's the first real bouldering session I have had since November and we're recording this middle of March. So I don't know. I mean, I've pretty much taken four months off of climbing almost. Yeah, completely. Um, you know, and really in the last two years, it's like the least I've climbed in the last, you know, 30, um, which is, which has been interesting. Everybody's like, Oh, do you miss it? Do you miss it? And I'm like, I mean, I don't know if missing it is the right word. I mean, I, I, I mean, I still have it. Right. I mean, I can always go back to it. It's not like I lost it. And if, I think if it was actually just straight up taken away from me, I would miss it, right? But I've still got the option to go back. I can go climbing whenever I want if I choose to. Um, and yeah, I've, I've sort of been focusing on other things, and 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 which is which has been great. Um, and I'm a bit at a stage in my life that I do wonder if I will ever climb as much as I used to. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure anymore. Like sometimes I'm like, Hmm, I wonder if like, I'm just not going to climb as much anymore. And you know, but it doesn't bother me. It doesn't like, that doesn't like, I'm not like bummed about that fact at all, you know? And, and, and if I want to climb more, I'll just start climbing more, I guess. You don't have to go here if you don't want to, but you said to me on expedition last summer that you might be approaching being done with expeditions was that you know I, I mean i actually said the same thing to aldo halfway through the trip i was like i don't know if i need this anymore like i've got kids I've, I've done so much in the last 15 years maybe i'm done but was it one of those moments you because you kind of seemed like you meant it i mean yeah that one was a that one was a bit of a 
an interesting one, as you know, and I don't think we need to get into all of the challenges of making a TV show on an expedition. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I was pretty over it at the time. Uh, I think that was amplified by the, the risk reward of the objective that we were trying to climb. Um, I like for me on that trip. So we were trying to climb this, this, you know, as you know, this really big, big Chaussee mountain. I mean, the thing was a complete pile of rubble. Um, it was really cool looking, but it was a pile of rubble. And for me, like it was, it was like over the line, you know, my personal line of, 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 of how dangerous it was and it was not worth the reward for me. So, but that was a, you know, that, that was a, that was one trip. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure on other trips where like I, I could be like way into it if the risk reward equation was, was a little bit more balanced, you know, I mean, that one, it just felt like a lot of risk and I'm not really sure what, you know, the reward just wasn't, wasn't going to be big enough. And, and I, you know, and I, and I think we talked about this on the trip that I think, you know, I have done a lot of trips. I've done a lot of expeditions. I've got to climb a lot. And so the value of each sort of climb, I feel like goes down as you like have these experiences like the value of the next experience is probably not going to be as valuable as the previous one because you've already had that experience. Um, you know, I've equated it to this. It's like, you know, you could take like a hundred US dollars has a set monetary value, right? Like, you know, you can buy the, you know, a certain amount of eggs and milk with that. But that value of a hundred dollars is very different to somebody that has a billion dollars and somebody that only has $50, right? The person that only has $50 and somebody gives them a hundred dollar bill is like, this is insane. This is, this is, there's so much value to me right here. You give a hundred dollars to a billionaire, the value is totally different, right? I mean, there's, there's, there's zero value pretty much to him, right? Because he already has so much of it. And I think, I think that analogy sort of works in climbing too, right? Like I have had, you know, I have amassed a lot of, of wealth in my climbing experiences. So now it, it, it just like, it, it's harder for, for it to bring value to me, um, which is good and bad, right? I mean, it means I've like created a lot of wealth, um, but it also means I, you know, the only way for it to impact me is if I like collect a lot more of it, right. Is the only way it's going to impact me. Um, and so then it becomes back to that, like sort of risk reward of like, well, Hey, like how much do I have to risk to gain a reward that's actually going to impact my life in a positive way, right? Like it, the downside risk starts to become greater than the reward. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah. I mean, you know, to put it in simple classic terms, it's the law of diminishing returns, right? It's just every time it happens, it gets a little bit lesser. And I think we all, you know, experience that in loads of different ways in our lives. But I think what's interesting with climbing or any, you know, serious adventurous activity or outdoor activity, with the exception of things like running, et cetera, is, as you point out or allude to, in order to get that same feeling, you're having to push it so far or so hard at the level that you're operating. You know, it's almost impossible to find that risk-reward ratio, I'm guessing, because what is there left to do, not left to do that you haven't done, you know, there's a lot of unclimbed mountains in the world, but what is there you want to tick off that's worth the risk you would have to take or the effort that you'd have to put in? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. And, you know, like right now, I am not, there's not much in climbing that, like I'm willing to put the time in for the reward, but that's currently, right? And and obviously, uh, you know, the longer I go without climbing, I'm still going to like, you know, I'm spending my capital, right? Like I'm spending some of that, right? The the wealth I've generated from climbing. And so hard to say in a, you know, a couple of years, I might be like, oh, actually, you know what? Like I want to go do something kind of hard. I want to go do something that it's a big time, you know, requirement. Um, and so, I, you know, I can't really forecast the future. I can only say this is where I'm at right now. And like right now, I don't have a deep desire or or need to go, you know, throw myself at something. And, and you know, maybe that'll, you know, creep back in and then I'll like get psyched on something. And I hope so. You know, I, I hope so. And, and, you know, right now, like we're, before we started recording, you know, you asked what I was up to and it's just like, I've been skiing a ton. Uh, you know, I'm at 40 days this season, which, you know, for a proper skier, maybe that's not that much. Um, but, but for me, that's a lot of days, you know, that's, that's in the throwing there, you know, work and travel and other life, um, commitments, you know, I've been spending a lot of time doing that. And it's, um, you know, starting with something new, it's, it's really nice because the rewards, um, they come pretty easily. <laughs> it's like I don't have to go do things that are that are super gnarly or dangerous or like really drawn out to to uh, to feel good and to feel like I'm learning something. Um, so yeah, I've been putting a lot of energy towards that, and it's 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 been awesome actually. Yeah, no, I'm glad, and I think like I often think about people like Mark Twight. You know, I don't want to go wildly off topic here, but I read his book when I was like late teenager, you know, Kiss or Kill. I loved it. I was obsessed with it. And I think the level that he was operating at, you know, soloing stuff in the Alps that really he probably shouldn't have been going near, let alone soloing. Now he just doesn't climb. 
He doesn't own axes. He just works out in the gym and trains other people in the gym. And is he happy? Is he as fulfilled? I don't know. But, you know, maybe get to ask him one day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people, I, you know, that that do that, I guess. And I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe Mark, um, you know, just guessing here, he did. He like, he hit a point when, it, you know, that it was totally diminishing returns. You know, he realized that there was, there was not much left to do that would bring him value in climbing. Um, yeah. Which, yeah, it's not uncommon, right? You know, I mean, you, you can't just keep like pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. There's nobody that, that really does, I guess. I mean, maybe there are people, uh, you know, most people start to dial it back at some point. You know, I do look at I do look at somebody like Colin. You know, Colin Haley. Colin continues his sort of trajectory. I mean, he's been on a somewhat like linear, you know, rise um, for a really, really long time. You know, he continues um, to solo harder things and 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 you know do harder objectives, and he's been doing that, yeah, for a really, really long time. So. And I, with showing no signs of stopping either, necessarily. Yeah, and you guys are close, right? Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, we've been we've been to Alaska together. We've climbed in Patagonia. We've, um, yeah, we both grew up in Washington too. So we weren't actually friends, unfortunately, because um, we were like marching around the mountains uh, both when we were we were young in the '90s up there. But I was in uh, I lived in a town that was. 45 minutes south of him and so we didn't you know climbing was a little bit more insular back then without social media and, and whatnot so um but yeah we i think we met in probably the early 2000s or so so yeah been friends for a while yeah because it's just you know i want to go somewhere a little bit heavy with it and i'm sorry we don't have to go there if you don't want to but you were saying you know lots of people do give it up i just think it comes down to that there's no such thing as an old soloist there's no such thing as an old base jumper and you know, somebody who I'm guessing you knew fairly well passed away this week or last week, Amon. Um, oh, yeah. Yep. I mean, even to be honest, dude, your reaction to that is like where I'm going with this question. I'm guessing you have known a lot of people who aren't around anymore. And how do you view that? Yeah. I mean, Ammon's was a bit of an, an odd one. I know... Uh, you know, uh, apparently, I mean, he was up sort of enjoying a sunset, you know, with his girlfriend and a friend and walked out towards the, you know, edge of a cliff and in the, the, the boulder, the edge of the cliff like gave way. Like that's what got him, which is I mean, kind of crazy. Also not kind of crazy, um, you know, and he was already on his, you know, how many lives, who knows? I mean, you know, I don't know anybody that's augured in more base jumping or climbing or, or anything. And, and, uh, so he was, uh, I would say he was quite fortunate to, to live, um, for how much he lived, you know, he, he, he got, he packed a lot in there still for sure. Like more than most people. So time is just, you know, I mean, I don't know how old Ammon was. He was probably 50, early fifties or something, but he packed more in than most people, that's for sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, in the world of, of high-end climbing, uh, 
we, the community inevitably loses more members than a, a lot of other communities, um, just due to the the dangers of what we do. And um, it's it's definitely not as hard on me as it used to be. Um, you know, I don't know, you know, probably the first person that I was like close with, there was a climbing partner that died, I think was Jose Pereira. Um, and like we, we had climbed a few routes together and, um, and just even just being around Yosemite in the early two thousands, you know, people were, people, their acquaintances were, you know, dying and, um, unfortunately, like most things in this world, you sort of get used to things, you know, we can be conditioned as humans. Um, some of us at least, and maybe this is just me, but yeah, you get kind of used to it. And, and I guess part of the reason, like I feel used to it and it doesn't have a huge impact on me is that I think I understand what I signed up for and people that are sort of shocked. Um, well, everybody deals with loss and, and death and grief in a different way. I think, I guess I've always, not always, but for a long time, I have been aware of the consequences of doing what I do. And so I guess it's just like being mentally prepared for that all the time, you know? I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't, it, 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 if I was shocked, I feel like that would be because I was ignorant, you know, like if, oh, somebody died and it'd be like, what? I can't believe that. It'd be like, well, really? You can't believe that? Like you did, you didn't see that as a possible outcome. Like, I feel like you should go back and, you know, redo your math if that's the case, you know, like, uh, yeah, like you, you didn't realize you can die like climbing. Oh, you didn't realize like your chances are elevated. If you like Alpine climb, you didn't realize that if you climb, you know, 250 days a year, like that your chances go up. I'm a bit like, yeah, that's, that's sort of the, that's the equation. Right. And and so I guess I feel like I'm not ignorant to the outcome. Yeah, and I, I don't know how best to phrase this, but it's almost like, you know, I've, through the nature of my work, same as you, although different access points, met a lot of people who live, you know, this is as cheesy as hell, but as close to the edge as it's possible to be really. Like it is the absolute cutting edge of, of risk tolerance and um, skill. I don't know, this is cheesy, but I often think like the difference I notice in those people is they tend to, whether they're aware of it or not, they tend to measure age and experience rather than years. Whereas most of us are just counting down the years. And I, you know, I was going to ask you and I'm, I've decided not to. I think I asked you this before and I sort of regretted it. Like, do you think it's worth it? But I don't know that you need to answer that. And I think it's that's quite personal and for other people to wonder but well i mean i i think we could talk about this because i mean you know do i think it's worth it you know personally do do i think it's you know worth it 
for somebody else. I mean, I think that's where it gets tricky, right? Like what's worth it to me, and this almost goes back to the value thing, right? That we, we were talking about earlier, like everybody has a different value system, right? They, and so I really don't like it when people try to impose their value system on others, right? They, and you see this every time like a high-end climber dies or, or anybody dies, they're like, it just wasn't worth it. And I'm like, you need to put an asterisk in there. It wouldn't have been worth it to me, right? Because obviously it was worth it to them. They did it. If it wasn't worth it, why would they be doing it? Like, that's how I look at it. I'm like, well, they must have been finding value in it enough that they're willing to do it. So inherently that means it was worth it to them. That doesn't mean they wanted to die, but then, you know, other people who live a completely different life are like, it wasn't worth it. And I'm like, to you. And that is very different, right? Like, so I I think I've, I've learned and, and started to understand this, that I do not try to project my own value system and beliefs on other people's choices, like what they do with their climbing anymore. You know, and I could say, hey, I don't think that's worth it for me. That's it. You know, like, would I ever go do that? Nope, not worth it. You know, but if somebody else wants to, you know, I mean, like Colin wants to go solo Fitzroy, like, okay, he knows the risks, you know, he gets it. He's he's very aware. So to say, you know, if something were to happen to Colin and everybody's like, oh, it wasn't worth it. Or, you know, he made poor decisions. I'm a bit like, mm, I don't know. I think, I think. Most of those people have a very acute understanding of what they're doing. And uh, yeah, they're not ignorant to the fact of what's going to happen in that value system. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things I notice is the difference when a, and I don't say this with any unkindness, when a kind of low grade or inexperienced climber is killed or in any sport, any discipline, people see that as a tragedy. It's just, it's a complete tragedy when somebody dies who you know let's take Amon McNeely I'm sure lots of people think that's a tragedy but equally people are like oh he was reckless he took too many risks etc etc again that's a, it comes down to competence and exposure and it's it's a different thing it, I, maybe it's just people's understanding or comprehension of how to live a life like that taking so much risk so look I'm conscious of time and there's a couple of things I want to cover off um I'm really interested in the career side of this. You know, you've you've made a career out of climbing and travel in a way that many never manage to or, or um, aspire to but don't hit. And, you know, we don't have time to do the full detail on that. But it's just, I'm really interested in the journey, I guess, from, hey, look, I've taken some photos in Patagonia by some through to, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you DOP'd, did you DOP? Oscar winning free solo. Yeah but I do not win an Oscar for that. Just to clarify, because everyone's like, oh, you won an Oscar. I was like, no, four people won Oscars. The directors and the producers, they're the ones that win the Oscar, right? Uh, I did win an Emmy for cinematography and a couple other, I don't know, Critics' Choice Award, or I don't even know what the other ones were. Um, so, uh, but, you know, you're, you're close. You're close to, yeah. I mean, the film won an Oscar. So, and I was one of the, the director of photography on that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I just had to do a corporate speaking gig a couple weeks ago. Um, it to a, a bunch of 
financial sort of people. Um, a little bit of selling out there, but got to make some money. Um, and it was interesting. I, I kind of wanted to do a, I know I opened that slideshow with like a picture of me filming on El Cap, you know, that was, and it was a bit of a like, oh, you know, how, how did I, how did I get here? You know, I mean, this, it, it's such an odd place to be, right. To be like, you know, my specialty is, is holding cinema cameras on high angle cliffs. Like, you know, nobody, you know, the, the counselor in high school never, never said that one was an option, right? Like nobody's like, oh yeah, like here's this avenue where you can um, work in the TV and film industry, you know, as a professional climber slash camera guy, you know, that that's not a, that's not an option, right? That's just not uh, a standard track. Anybody can, can ever go down. Um, there's no, there's no avenue that you can look at on a map that leads you to that. Um, and I think that's very much true for me. I, I did not, I never sat down. I never said, oh, this is what I want to do with my life. I don't, I mean, never, you know, I mean, for me, it, it was always being presented with options in life. The ones that I was able to see outside of the rut, you know, that, that came to me and then weighing those options. It was like, is this better than what I've got? you know, or could this be better than what I've got or, or is this worse than what I've got, you know? And then being like, looking at that and be like, huh, maybe I should do that. That looks like it could be a better opportunity. And then going that direction, right? But just because I made that choice, that doesn't mean I knew what the next 10 turns were going to look like and what options were going to present themselves along the way. So, I mean, I feel like for me, like getting to where I got was making a lot of of not inconsequential decisions, but there was never like a big decision. There was never like, this is what I'm gonna do. It was like, oh, you know, you know, go climb El Cap when I'm 14. Oh, move to Yosemite outside of, you know, uh, um after high school. Oh, become a climbing guide. Oh, like, you know, I want to go on expeditions. Oh, I should buy a camera. Oh, I just happened to be in the cafeteria one day and meet the photo editor at Patagonia. Oh, like all of a sudden I've amassed all these skills and like I get an opportunity to like, you know, do this job and then this job. And they're all a bunch of little choices that have, you know, brought me through this maze of life that sort of led me to where I'm at. And I think it would have been really easy at some point that if I made a different choice, I would be somewhere completely different at this point. Um, so I think there's, there was a lot of, there was a lot of luck in the opportunities that presented themselves to me over the years. And then probably to a lesser degree, um, some skill in making the right choice at the right time. Um, and yeah, again, I mean, I, hard to say where I would be if I had taken other options, you know, could have been just as fulfilled and just as happy and just as successful. Just might not have been a high angle cameraman. You know, I, I, I don't know. So, um, uh, uh, it's been a windy road with a lot of choices and thankful for, 
making, I think, a lot of the right choices along the way. Yeah, that I'm pleased you said that last line because that's what, you know, a lot of it was choice, right? Not There's a difference between luck and chance and the choices that we make. And I guess I kind of want to ask, like, are you proud of who you are and are you proud of the journey you've been on? I'm not unproud of it. How about that? Um, I don't know. It's hard. Like, it's just, it's who I am, right? Like, I don't, like, I mean, I'm glad I made the right choices in life. I think that, if anything, I'm more proud of that than where I am now. Like, you know, the media attention I get, the awards I've gotten, you know, they feel nice because everybody tells you they should feel nice. They don't necessarily mean a great deal to me in a way. Like, I think, but making the right choice to me is more, almost more important to me, you know, to know that it's like, okay, cool. I think that was the right decision because I, I like figuring things out. I like understanding how things work. Like that gives me a lot of joy personally. Um, and so if I was to look back and deconstruct a lot of the things that I've done and a lot of decisions I've made, I, you know, I do think it's like, cool, I figured that out. I, I made a lot of really good decisions and that makes me happy. Um, but a lot of the other stuff, it, 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 I don't know. I mean, sure, it's great. You know, you win some awards. People know who, who you are at the climbing gym, I, I guess. I don't know. It's weird. Like, I don't, it doesn't it doesn't do a ton for me honestly like i just don't i don't know you know i don't i don't care i mean heck i skipped the emmys because i went on a climbing trip you know like i promised my my girlfriend at the time that we were going to go to morocco for 3 weeks and 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 it happened that you know the emmys were going to be in the middle of it and she's like are you sure you don't want to go and i'm like i don't not i mean i just no, I don't care. Like, I don't, not really. Like, it, it, it's not, yeah, getting the awards, not the reward. How about that? You know? So. I think that was a very, very wise thing to say, Mikey. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm getting old. Look at all this gray hair and gray beard. <laughs> Who knows what, I mean, you know, ask me that and like, you know, when I'm like 25, I would assume... You know, my ego would have been like, oh, yeah, go stand on stage, get a big gold trophy, like, you know, all those all those things. But but maybe not. I don't know. You know, it's just, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's slightly paradoxical, isn't it, that, like, I'm not saying everybody wants to stand on stage and win awards, but it seems like such a cool thing to do until you do it. And, you know, I've never won an Emmy, but I've stood on stage and collected some awards. And actually, like, the it's the dopamine hit, right? It's, you know, it's the same as, you know, whether it's dopamine or not, smoking a cigarette or watching a reel on Instagram, you know, it lasts, what is it, a minute or eight minutes or something? You know, where's the actual intrinsic joy? Yeah, yeah. And it isn't, you know, I think I've been able to keep a lot of that in check in my life, you know, and and not placing too much value on those sorts of things. You know, 
I, I've never, I've never been, it's probably to my own professional detriment, I've never been really good at it, it, um, at selling myself, you know, at, at their marketing out there being like, Oh, I'm the best. I'm the person you should hire. I should, you know, I mean, gosh, I've, <laughs> I've never made, um, a, a real, not, not the type on Instagram, the type like, you know, a professional director of photography would put on their website that showcases everything they're capable of. I've never made one. I mean, probably the only Emmy winning cinematographer that's never even put together a reel, you know, because I feel that to me, I always feel it sort of seems like, I, I don't know. I, I'm like, eh, I don't really want to do that. Like I want people to hire me that they're going to hire me because a friend told them, Hey, yeah, Mikey's a good guy. Like you'll enjoy working with them and he'll get the job done. You should hire him because of that, you know, not because of some slick, fancy produced, you know, thumping real thing. I just am like, nah, I don't, and anybody that would hire me purely off of that, I'm almost like not sure I actually even want to work with them. You know, I, I, I want to work with people that got, that recommend me or, you know, got to me because I was recommended by somebody else that, you know, that says, ah, you'll, you'll really like Mikey. Like you'll, you'll, you'll enjoy his company. Like, you know, like that is like, great. I want to work for the person that sought out somebody like that. Not just like how pretty their, their, you know, cinematography is. Totally. And there's a lesson in there, right? Like, you know, this isn't a self-help podcast, but that's something I was lucky to learn early was that it's kind of all about who you know. Like, yeah, you've got to do the job and yeah, you've got to be a decent person that people like hanging out with, but it's all who you know. I got criticized, not criticized. It was a little poke the other day. I got asked to do an event and they were like, we can't get the client to sign off on you because you don't have a website and they can't find out who you are. I was like, oh shit, I really need to build a website. I'm 15 years in, you know. But that's but, the thing. You're like, well, okay. Sounds like you're not the perfect match. Like if that's what they want and you don't have it, okay, that's yeah. fine. You guys should go find somebody else. I'm, I'm okay with that. Like that, the exact same thing has happened to me. You know, like, yeah, usually commercial stuff, you know, where it's like, I want to see a reel. And I was like, oh, I don't really have one. That's not how I get hired. You know, you could ask references. How about that? You know, like here, are, you know, three names and feel free to email them and ask them and, you know, look at the stuff they've done, you know, and they'll vouch for me. So, but, you know, yeah. So I, I, under, I understand that. I was about to say I've never cut a reel either, but that would have been a lie. I just remembered I had to do one for that Nat Geo job because they were like, who the hell's this kid? So I, I did cut oh, one. Yeah. And it's dreadful. Because <laughs> I did it in about four hours. Anyway, yeah. um, I'm conscious of time. You've got to jump on another call. Um, I've I, always got time for you, Matt. Don't worry. I'm actually not in a... I've, I've got some time. I don't have a set time for the next phone call, so I'm, I'm, I'm good. I do things for friends. I like things for doing things for friends. So I'm very grateful. Well, I was going to end it, but in that case, I'm going to ask you one more question before I do. So what does bring you fulfillment now? Hmm... Well, like I said earlier, you know, I've been, I've been skiing a lot. Um, I'm not at this stage in my skiing yet that I'm good enough for it to bring the sort of fulfillment that would replace climbing. Um, I mean, it's not that I'm a beginner. I mean, I've actually been skiing for over 20 years and, you know, I've skied hundreds of days in my life. Um, but I'm still not, I'm not good enough to do things that are like 
fulfilling for more than a day or two. I just don't have the skill yet, um, to, you know, and I'm not sure I ever will, um, just because it's a hard sport to like, you know, really get serious about later in life. Um, just with an older body at this point. Um, and you know, I, I, we were talking before, uh, we started rolling about, you know, remodeling houses and whatnot. And I've bought some real estate and I've been, um, you know, doing all that by myself. Um, which is actually the reason I haven't really been climbing as much is because I have been focusing on doing these remodels. And oddly enough, like it brings me a lot of fulfillment. Um, it's, it's very much type two fun, which I'm assuming I don't need to like, um, explain the different types of fun for your audience here. Everybody should be fairly aware of it. Um, and it's, it's really type two. Um, and I personally do, um, like type two fun. You know, it, I, I understand like that this will be fun once it's done and I'll, I'm going to get to like, look back at it all and be like, Whoa, this is, this is really cool. And, um, I, I like the the scale of like remodeling a house all by myself because it, it actually has a lot of similarities I've found to some of the climbing projects I've done in my life where I kind of get so deep into it um, that, I mean, it takes a really long time, you know, especially for me just working by myself, you know, a remodel might take me eight, to 10 months of, of sort of just being there all by myself every day, showing up, being like, okay, I just got to like put a little work in, put a little work in and, um, slowly, uh, get it done and then learn all of these really interesting things along the way. I get to like, you know, I'm sure a lot of people in your audience think I'm just like crazy, but it's just like, I get to learn about plumbing and electrical and like drywall and, and putting in windows and, and there's a lot of little successes along the way. And I get to like learn something that really feeds me. But then in the end, I get to look back and like, you know, I'm sitting here in a house that I remodeled all by myself and be like, whoa, I built this, you know? And it seemed so daunting when I started, you know, when the walls are stripped down to the studs and the place is completely uninhabitable. Um, and then to build it back up into something that's finished, like, actually it brings me a lot of a lot of joy and like fulfillment um but very much type two along the way it's it's hard to motivate every single day but i think that's not unlike a big climbing project you know and it, it, it's like some of the new routes i've done in my life it's just where it is like whoa this is just work this is just blue collar hard work and um but yeah so i think that's you know between skiing and remodeling some houses i'm i'm I, you know, I feel, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. You said earlier that you're not goal oriented, but it sounds to me like you're almost like project focused, like you need a project. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and that is actually a much better way to, to describe myself. Cause yeah, I will, I've never said I'm goal oriented. I've literally never made a, a one-year plan, a six-year plan. I don't even know. You know, I've, I've never written down a thing that says, I want to do this. Never happened in my life. Um, but I do like, you are totally correct. I like projects and, and often they are, 
they're almost presented to me. You know, that's the thing. I guess I don't always seek out these projects. Again, it's like, oh, here's this, you know, opportunity. Should I do it? Should I not do it? That's a really big project. That could be interesting. Then I go ahead and do it. I mean, when we bought our, you know, the place we're living in, like, I didn't think I was going to remodel both of the houses. I mean, we actually thought we were going to hire somebody to do it. Uh, that wasn't, you know, so it wasn't like a goal. It's like, oh, I'm going to become a carpenter. It was just like, hey, like, you know, the pandemic had just started. You know, I wasn't working much. And all of a sudden it was like, well, we could pay somebody with the money that I don't have right now, or I could just do it myself. Well, seems like a better option to do it myself, right? Okay, great. Then that's what I'm doing now. And it turns out I really like it. And and that's sort of what happened with the next place we bought. You know, I mean, we literally, I mean, I had just gotten home from Greenland. I had COVID. Like, and, and you know, I'm just kind of looking at things that are on the market because I keep a, an eye on it. And all of a sudden we see this place that it just dropped like $200,000 in price. And I was like, oh, maybe we should go look at this. And, uh, you know, we look at it and we're like, oh, well, I guess we should buy this. And we like bought it. And I literally, you know, it was like, it was like not even our plan. And all of a sudden we bought it, you know, and I was like, okay, well, I guess here's another project. You know, here's an opportunity. I guess we should take it. This makes the most sense right now. This is going to set us up, you know, you know, better later in life. So we should do that. So yeah, that's a, that's a good observation though, I think on your part, because yeah, most people would assume I am super goal oriented and it is just not, not the case at all. It's interesting. I just think I sometimes think that people suspect a certain type of person does X and another type of person does Y, but it's so not the case. You know, whether that's climbing yeah. or whether that's finance or whether that's motor racing, it's just not the case. Yeah. 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 Cool. Right, Mikey. I'm going to draw this to a close. Right on. I have two questions that I always ask everyone at the end of every podcast. What scares you? What scares me? Mm. That's a good question. I think that, well, the first thing that sort of popped into my, my mind was, is not being able to do what I want to do. Like, having choices in life taken away from me. I really, really appreciate my freedom and the ability to do what I want. Um, I would do very, very poorly in some sort of mandated life. I would not be happy when choices are dictated to me. That would make me, I, I do not do well like that. So I think that's, that's, yeah, making sure I continue to live a life where I'm in control of my decisions. Excellent. That's a unique one. No one's ever said that. Um, what brings you hope? I, I, mm, I would say that knowing there's people in this world that are a lot smarter than me. <laughs> and I know there are. Because I know I've met some of these people, you know, that are more motivated and smarter and do have goals and are willing to work incredibly hard for the benefit of others. Um, you know, I, I, 
I just went to a film premiere uh, on a film I worked on called Wildlife, a National Geographic doc film that that Jimmy and Chai directed, and you know it just premiered on Sunday. And it's about um, Christine Tompkins and Doug Tompkins and all the conservation work that they have done down in Argentina and Chile and created all these national parks. And, you know, people like that, I would say, bring me hope. You know, people that amassed an incredible amount of wealth and skill and that they chose to do that with it, that they chose to conserve land, um, to reintroduce wildlife. Um, I, I think, yeah, I, I think, you know, yeah. Somebody like Chris, she kind of gives me hope that, you know, that that oh, there's enough people out in this world that, that sort of care about saving, you know, human existence, um, that they're willing to dedicate their life to it. Um, it's not... I, it's not me right now, that's for sure. So I'm, I'm glad there's others that are willing to do that. Well, we're not going to explore that any further, but that was an amazing answer. Cool. Yeah. Thank you very much. We'll leave it there. Okay. Sounds good, Matt. Thanks. Thanks for listening. For more information, head to the Adventure Podcast at co.uk. If you want to get in touch, then you can email me at matt at terraincognita.studio. And finally, as always, please do leave us an honest review on iTunes. <laughs>